TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Time now for the Brian Barrett Show on EEI. Welcome in. We are with you until midnight. So a lot to get into tonight. A lot to unpack. And by the way, I will get into the Celtics. I promise tonight. They are fun to watch again. They are fun to watch and they need to do something at the trading deadline. They need to appease Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. The way that these two guys are playing as of late, the way that the team as a whole is playing as of late, and by late I mean two games in the month of January, they've been one of the best teams in the NBA From a metric standpoint, they have the second best net rating in the NBA in the month of January. You need to do something, if you're Brad Stevens, to tell Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum that you're trying to win. And I know this is not a championship-level team or anything along those lines, but you have to give Brown and Tatum some weaponry, some artillery to go into the postseason with, to have a fair fight against some of these teams. And I'm not saying you're going to have as much talent as the Milwaukee Bucks or anything along those lines. You're not going to have as deep as a team as the Bulls have, although they're dealing with injuries right now. The Crusoes, the Levines, or Levine just came back, but Crusoe, Lonzo Ball dealing with injury. You're not as deep as that team, but you got to give these guys some help. This is their first real opportunity to head into the postseason as it being their team. And remember, you go back to last year, Jalen Brown was not available. He did not play in the postseason. So this is the first time. Because when you go back to the bubble, Kemba Walker, it was really Kemba and Jason Tatum's team. And Brown was kind of the third guy, even though Brown at that time had shown that he was better than Kemba Walker. But he was kind of the third guy in terms of that group. And you had Marcus Smart in there as well, who was complaining about stuff. And he was kicking over trash barrels and all that. But you owe it to Tatum and Brown. Because here's the thing that the Celtics have already done. And I don't blame them for this. They have moved on from Hernan Gomez. Not that he was doing anything or anything along those lines. But you bring in two guys in Dozier and Bull Bull that in all likelihood will never play for the Celtics. And the reason you make that move is so you don't have to pay the luxury tax bill. Which, again, I'm telling you, I'm fine with that. You make a salary cap move like that, fine. I understand all that. But you have to do something as we approach the trading deadline that tries to help those two guys. And if they don't do something that helps Tatum and Brown, then you got real issues going forward. Because I know that Jason Tatum just signed his contract, but Jalen Brown is going to be entering next year with two years remaining on his. He could become unhappy. And Tatum eventually could become unhappy. If you essentially declare at the deadline all you're doing is cost-cutting moves, that's unfair to a guy that just signed a max contract for this team. And you can tell me all this crap about, well, Tatum... 
his shooting percentages and all that. By the way, they're going up this month. But nonetheless, you can give me all this stuff about Tatum's percentages all season long, and he hasn't shot the ball well until the last two games. You can give me all that stuff. But Tatum's out there every night for this team. He's up there in terms of minutes per game, total minutes in the league. He's up in all those categories, and his rebounding numbers have been incredible this year, 8.5 rebounds per game. He's in the top five amongst forwards and amongst forwards that never play setter. He's in the top three when it comes to that. You owe it to Tatum, and you owe it to Brown to give them something at the trading deadline. But I will get into the Celtics in greater detail as we go on tonight. I wanted to get to this, though. What do the Patriots need to do to address the weapon situation with this team? 617-779-7937 is the number. Again, 617-779-7937, the number. What do the Patriots need to do to give Mac some more, to use the term I just did, more artillery in the offense? So I was thinking a lot about this in terms of, well, yeah, it'd be nice to trade for Calvin Ridley. It'd be nice to go after a big-name guy. And I'm still on board with doing both those things. And especially if Godwin is the guy, because I feel like he'd be perfect for this offense. And I know he's coming off a torn ACL, but I just feel Godwin would be perfect because he can play the slot. And essentially, he is a souped-up version of Edelman or Welker. He's Edelman or Welker on steroids. I don't mean literally. I just mean like he's that type of player, but he's bigger, he's stronger, and he's a more athletic player than both those guys. So I just feel like that would be the perfect fit with this team. But nonetheless, I do feel like something that we are now seeing in the NFL is receivers are coming into the league and they are succeeding immediately. And if you look at the past couple of years, it's been littered with really good receivers in the draft. And I know that Bill missed on a receiver, of course, in 2019 with Nikhil Harry, but I do not subscribe to the theory that says, oh, because you missed on a guy in the first round one year, that means you should never draft that position in the first round again. I don't believe in that whatsoever. I believe you take as many bites at the apple as you possibly can. So just looking at it, right, and I kind of cracked the numbers on this. If you look at wide receivers since the 2018 draft, by my math, there's been 39 of those guys taken in the first two rounds, okay? So 39 receivers over the last, since the 2018 draft, have been drafted in the first two rounds. So now, some of this is my opinion, but a lot of them are obvious. I would say out of that group, okay, 22 of those receivers that have been drafted in the first two rounds since 2018, 22 of those players have hit, without question have hit. Seven from this year's draft I put in the category of we don't know because, like, we know the early guys hit in the draft. Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, and Devontae Smith. I believe all three of those guys have hit, and I don't think it's, it's even an argument with Chase and Waddell. And Smith was in an offense that ran the ball a ton, the most of any team of the NFL, but he really showed signs. I mean, did you see that catch he made against the Buccaneers in the postseason? That guy's really, really good. But nonetheless, so I put seven that we don't know about yet from this year's draft after the top three guys. And then 10 misses without question to kill Harry's part of that group. So of the 22 guys that have hit since the 2018 draft where we've had 39 receivers go in the first two rounds, seven of those players finished in the top 20 in receiving yards this past season. Six of those players have made the Pro Bowl. Six receivers drafted in the first two rounds since 2019 are playing this weekend. So what I've noticed here is... Drafting a receiver in the first two rounds has kind of sort of become a cheat code in the NFL in terms of getting production in the passing game, right? So if you just look at the teams that are playing this weekend, Brandon Ayuk was drafted in the first round. 
Debo Samuel was drafted in the second round for the San Francisco 49ers. Of course, Belichick passed on Samuel and A.J. Brown. We all know the story with Nikhil Harry, and we don't have to rehash that out. I'm pointing this out just as it pertains to the San Francisco 49ers. So those two guys this season combined for 136.4 receiving yards per game. Plus, Debo Samuel gives you 22.8 rushing yards per game and eight touchdowns. So you're talking about a buck 36 combined receiving yards, 19 total touchdowns, and an extra 23 yards per game in terms of running the football. So essentially, you got 19 total touchdowns and north of 130 receiving yards per game for $6.3 million against the salary cap. Think about that. That's all the 49ers are paying for those two guys. And after... George Kittle, of course, and Debo Samuel is the best offensive player on that team. I, Kittle's a great player, but Debo Samuel has taken that offense to a complete different level. But you're talking about two of your top three weapons in that offense from a pass game standpoint. You're paying $6.3 million. Okay, let's go to another team that's playing this weekend over to the AFC. In the AFC, you look at the two teams. You have Cincinnati, of course, against Kansas City. By the way, Kansas City drafted one of these guys in the first two rounds in McCall Hardman. Now, Hardman, sort of a third wheel there, but obviously made some critical plays last week. But look at the Bengals. They have drafted two receivers in the first two rounds over the past couple of years. In fact, in the last two seasons. So immediately, they get Joe Burrow a weapon when they draft Joe Burrow with the number one overall pick in the 2020 draft. They go out and they get him T. Higgins. Okay, T. Higgins, really good player. And then this year, with the fourth overall selection, they select Jamar Chase for Joe Burrow. Okay, so those guys this past season, here are the numbers. 19 total touchdowns between the two of them, 163.5 receiving yards per game. Jamar Chase, because he was drafted relatively high, like I said, that fourth overall selection, he makes $7 million against the salary cap. T. Higgins makes $2.3 million against the salary cap, so do the math real quickly. $9.3 million against the salary cap this year. 163 and a half receiving yards per game and 19 touchdowns. So this whole idea and everybody acknowledges the Patriots need somebody to put you over the top. You have nice pieces. Kendrick Bourne is a nice piece. Hunter Henry is a nice piece. When you look at a guy like Jacoby Myers, he's a nice piece. But none of those guys are the alphas and the omegas of a passing game. None of those guys are that. They're good players. They're not great players. You need that guy that can put your offense over the top. And now that you look at it in terms of you have a quarterback that is entering year two, I don't see the rush in having to go out there and definitely definitively spending all that money on a free agent receiver, right? You did a bunch of that last year. So my hope is that Belichick uses one of his first two round picks this year on a receiver because the math tells you that these guys are hitting at a rate that, quite frankly, we've never seen in the NFL. These guys are coming off the board at a rate we've never seen at the NFL level. And this draft, if you look at it, Mel Kuyper Jr.'s most recent draft, he has five guys, five receivers going in the first round. Now, the guy that he has going to the Patriots is Jameson Williams. And the Jameson Williams thing, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons as it pertains to the Patriots. I'll give you a couple of them. First of all, you know that word value? Oh, Bill loves that, right? Value. Well, Jameson Williams is coming off a torn ACL which means he's going to miss some of training camp. We'll see how much of the regular season he misses. But that depends on the injury. Some guys come back from that sooner than other guys. So you don't know exactly what he's going to be back. But Bill loves that kind of crap. Think about what he's done. Now, some of these guys have not worked. 
He drafted Dominic Easley, remember, and Dominic Easley never worked out. He was coming off an injury. But Malcolm Mitchell had an injury history. Rob Gronkowski had an injury history. So there's been a lot of guys that Bill Belichick, heck, McGrone, who he just drafted in the fifth round this year, he was coming off a torn ACL. He was projected to be a second or a third round draft pick by most draft aficionados out there until he dealt with the injury. So Bill has done this on multiple occasions. And we know, of course, the connection with Belichick and Saban. Belichick, since becoming the Patriots head coach and head executive, if you will, he's drafted 13 players that have played for Nick Saban, going back to his days with Michigan State, LSU, and, of course, most recently, Alabama. So you talk about having a quarterback on a rookie contract, which, of course, doesn't hurt you necessarily against the salary cap. Well, the same thing is now happening with receivers. And just to give you some of the names of receivers out there in the NFL that are on their rookie contract still. DJ Moore has had three 1,000-yard receiving seasons. You look at Debo Samuel, as we mentioned, the best player on a team that's playing in the championship game this weekend. A.J. Brown has made a Pro Bowl. The guy's an absolute stud. You think about the 2020 draft. Jerry Judy's a good player. C.D. Lamb's made a Pro Bowl, good player as well. And you look at Justin Jefferson, heck, he may be the best of the group. I mean, Jefferson's made it to -to back-to-back Pro Bowls, one of the best receivers in the NFL. I mean, think about it. The Bills have really benefited from getting a guy like Stephon Diggs. Nobody's going to deny that. But in a vacuum, who would you rather have if you're the Vikings? Stephon Diggs on that big money contract or Justin Jefferson? That's essentially what they did. They swapped out a first-round pick, and they used that pick to take Justin Jefferson. They replaced Stephon Diggs in minutes. Everybody thought, well, they're getting rid of Stephon Diggs. How are they going to recover? Now, their quarterback is a different issue, and their defense was an issue last year, and Mike Zimmer is now gone. But the point being, they recovered by drafting Justin Jefferson in the first round because you can get these guys like crazy. Look what Jamar Chase did to the Bengals. Heck, Miami almost made the playoffs. Part of the reason was Jalen Waddell was incredible for them. They built their whole offense around him in the short passing game, and Devontae Smith's a really nice player as well. So the point being, it's easier than ever to find these guys early on in the draft. They really help you build your roster around young receivers you're not paying a lot of money to. I would advocate the Patriots use one of their first two draft picks on a receiver this year. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. Okay, so this is on the table. Do you want the Patriots to take a receiver in one of the first two rounds? If you still have some thoughts on Ortiz and Schilling, you can weigh in on that as well. I did a lot on that last night, but if you want to weigh in in on that now, you certainly can. And I want to get to this. The Patriots' selection of Mac Jones. We still need to give him a little bit of time before we go too crazy, but they sort of went against the new age quarterback of the NFL. I'm wondering if they're starting to regret that. I'll explain next here on EEI. For nearly 30 years, the home of the Boston sports fan. Now here's what's trending on WEEI. Trending now on WEEI and WEEI.com. Rob Gronkowski may be about to retire for the second time. Gronk saying today when asked about retirement, quote, if I had to answer right now, it would be no, but you never know. In three weeks, it might be yes. I mean, this is pretty damn simple. If Tom comes back, I'm playing. Why doesn't he just say that? Just say, hey, if Tommy's going back, I'll go back as well. <laughs> I don't know what Gronk's going to do post-retirement. The guy was absolutely atrocious in his role with Fox. He was horrible in the wrestling stuff. And by the way, this is a legitimate question that you can answer at 617-779-7937. What commercials are worse? The one that Gronk has for, what is it, the... What is that that he does it for? It's the, the veteran one, right? The, yes. Um, 
forget what it's called. The veteran one, though. Yeah, it's insurance for veterans. Like they, Oh, they, USAA. USAA. It's so uncomfortable, the commercial that he does. What's worse, Gronk's commercials for USAA or the Rocky commercials, where he was <laughs> he was doing a commercial for Cologne and he couldn't pronounce it. Which commercials are worse? That's on the table tonight. Meanwhile, Patriots center David Andrews had shoulder surgery. He announced it on his Instagram. He dealt with the injury for the majority of the year. He's expected to be ready for training camp. Meanwhile, the Bees and the Avalanche are underway. They are playing tonight in Denver. That game just getting started. It appears to be scoreless in the first period. So we'll see if the Bees can pull one off tonight. The good news is Tuca's not in the net, so they have a chance to win. As for the Seas, they'll hit the road to take on the Hawks on Friday night. They're coming off that 128-75 win over the Kings on Tuesday night. It's amazing what happens when you hit shots. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. If your day sounds like. We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through. You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medella, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We're right back to what you want to hear. More of Brian Barrett on EEI. All right, and we are with you until midnight. What do the Patriots need to do? How do they upgrade the weapons for Mac Jones this offseason? If you want to weigh in in the Hall of Fame, that's certainly on the table as well all night. It's 617-779-7937. But before we go any further, I just want to get these two commercials out. So this was the Gronk commercial from earlier this season for USAA. Member. Mr. Gronkowski, USAA is for the military community and their families. That's what makes us special. Oh, but I'm special. USAA, it's still only for the military community. It's so uncomfortable. He's trying to get insurance from USAA and he's not a veteran. Like, I don't understand who greenlit this as a commercial idea. I'm not even blaming Gronk. I mean, he's obviously horrible in the commercial, but I don't know who decided that was a good idea. It's awkward and you have to deal with it every Sunday when you watch football. And now if you're watching the red zone, it's one thing. But then when you go to the national games, this commercial's on all the time. So what's worse, that commercial or <laughs> Rocky? In the afternoon, when I put it on to go out with the guys and have a rendezvous. Cut! Cut! We're cutting this set. We're going to the alternate set. I, I can get it. You know, it's 
I'm sure you can. Will you get out of the cage? Rendezvous. Yes, rendezvous over to the other set, Rock, if you don't mind. <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes in the Rocky series. Oh, my God, I love that. Because that director is the best. He gets so mad. Every time Rocky gets messes it up, he gets so pissed off. And I can't, can't imagine that happening, right? You have the guy that is the heavyweight champion of the world, right? Just think about this in real life. The heavyweight champion of the world, okay? So he's doing a commercial, and you got this small, skinny director yelling at the heavyweight champion of the world. Like, this would never happen. Never, ever happen. But, I mean, I think that Rocky's performance is a little bit better than Gronk's, okay? And at least, like, this director had a vision for Rocky. Gronk, his directors had no vision whatsoever. Let's get to Mike. He is in Bridgewater. Mike, what's up, man? Hey, Mike. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. How are you? Hey, uh, I'm driving home from work uh, tonight, just like I was last night, and I was, I'm just calling to say I really enjoyed your uh, perspective on the, uh, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame selections. Uh, I'm a huge baseball fan, and um, it's so flawed, and it's embarrassing. It's baseball, a huge baseball fan. It's so embarrassing. I mean, to think that we have to have a discussion on whether Roger Clemens is a Hall of Famer as compared to John Lester being a Hall of Famer. And, and somebody like, you know, Barry Bonds being a Hall of Famer versus Scott Rowland being in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's, it's such a flawed thing. And what I really liked you said last night was the guy who was the commissioner from 1992 to – 2015, Bud Selig was in the commissioner's seat for 23 years, and there he is in charge of the whole steroid thing, and he's got a plaque in Cooperstown. I mean, it, it's <laughs> it's such a flawed system, and you you were so spot on last night when I was listening to you, and I I thought to myself, gee whiz, I'm going to try to call in tonight, and if I can, I will. I, I just wanted to say I applaud you for speaking up on that because I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, there are certain players that should be completely excluded, like um, A-Rod and Manny because and, and um, Robinson Cano, but uh, all these other guys should all be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, because, uh, Mike, I'm you with you. Be- yeah, Mike, hold on a second. I'm, I'm with you because if the guys cheated after the new rules were implemented, that's on them. Okay, the new rules were implemented. A-Rod cheated. He had a whole scandal. I mean, the guy's a joke. Manny cheated after. Robinson Cano cheated after. But the original guys, you didn't have those rules in place. And as it pertains to Bud Selig, think about this. He gets all this credit for growing the game in the late 90s and the 2000s. They were getting crazy TV ratings. The reason they were getting crazy TV ratings is because of the PED use in the game, because of the home run chases. So we're going to reward one guy for the growth of the game, and the guys that were actually doing the growing of the game by hitting all those home runs, we're not going to put them into the Hall of Fame. It's a complete joke. It is. It's, and, and as a baseball fan, I, I've been up to Cooperstown. I'm actually heading up there tomorrow. Oh, Nice. Great time of the year to great time of the year to go to Cooperstown uh, to go up there and just walk around the hall and, uh, and, and, and enjoy it with no crowds and uh, to go over to the Otsega Hotel. It, it's awesome, and uh, I've taken a couple buddies up there, including my son. And uh, what a great time of the year to go up there and uh, just kind of walk, you know, 
among the, where the legends kind of, you know, stay and, you know, uh, Stay at the Otsego Hotel. Yeah, I mean, Mike, I'm with you. Mike, and I appreciate the phone call. I'm with you. It's a great place to go. If you've never been to Cooperstown, you should go. I've been there twice in my life. The first time, I just went to see everything there. The second time, my brother actually had a baseball tournament out there, the Field of Dreams, one summer. I've loved it. I mean, the museum's awesome. It's incredible, like all the stuff there. I just feel like it's hypocritical how the voters deal with all this stuff. But it is a great place to go and visit. They got this one shop on the street where you can go in and you can get, like, every minor league hat. They, of course, got the Louisville Slugger shop. It's awesome. It's a really fun place to go. It's a really cool town, old town, really fun place to be. I want to go again this summer to see when Ortiz goes in because that's going to be crazy because you know that Pedro's going to be there. Some of the guys from the 04 team are going to be there. It's going to be crazy. I bet now we'll see. Actually, probably Cora can't go because they're going to be playing at that time. But I have always had fun when I go to the Hall of Fame, and I would love to be there when Ortiz goes in the summer. Let's get to Steve. He is in Fall River. What's up, Steve? How are you? Good, how are you? You asked about getting web. You asked Mike, uh, sorry, Brian, about getting. Mike was going through some of the drafts for the Patriots. You went through Cincinnati. Yep. These two guys, you said they made $9 million. Yeah, against they the They combined yep. for 155 catches for 2,646 yards. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that the Patriots need to elevate Ziegler to GM and the his coach, the offensive coordinator, to the head coach, and they need to send Bill Belichick into retirement for a party for him. Let me tell you why, Brian. According to Sport Track, Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry, and John o. Smith were $45 million on the cap last year. And they only had 115 receptions, and I can't add it up, for 1,400 yards. They had about half the yardage. Why don't you do $45 million by 1,400 yards? It's something like 30-some thousand a yard. Yeah, Steve, I understand, I understand your point. No, but no, you, no, 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 hold no, on, no, hold on. Minute. I got you a question for said? you about Ziggler. 30, $31,000 a yard Bob Kraft just paid. Yeah, but Steve, let me ask you this, might, though. Like Steve, might have a, Steve. might it, have a, a, an aneurysm. Steve, let me ask you this, though. My question would be this. How do you know that Ziggler is going to be much better than Bill? And, like, I understand if you were going to come on here and say, well, hey, hey they you, sh- hold, on, hold, on, you, Steve, hold gonna, on, Steve. Hold on, Steve. I'm going to ask you a question. Hold on. Let ask me you ask you a qu- I'm asking you a question. Like, if you were coming on here and you were going to tell me, you know what the Patriots should do? They should try to pray, uh, pry Duke Tobit away from Cincinnati. They should do everything they can to get Duke Tobit here because he's done an incredible job the past three years in the draft. Fine. Like, I would understand that argument. But to, just to say, hey, let's elevate Ziggler after he's never done the job before, that's where you kind of lose me. Um, could he have done any worse? Would he have given them $60 million for the same production? You, He went back... He, uh, your previous host. Well, I mean, he could have gone. He could have done worse than Mac Jones, Barmore, and Ramondre Ryan, Stevenson. Since two thousand and five, this guy's had three good drafts, maybe four. If you go back, if you want to do the homework and really look back at these drafts, because I actually went back on DraftHistory.com, he had three or four respectable drafts since two thousand five. You think they went? How do you think they went ten years without winning a Super Bowl? Do you think that was? Some kind of coincidence? It all had to do with the draft. You think that was a coincidence? Okay, but Steve, it you still haven't given me a solution. Your solution is fire, fire Bill, which Bill means Ziggler. So who's the coach? Continue to pick from 2015 to 2020. 
have been the worst five years in Patriot right, history. Steve, but draft. give me a solution. You're not so, giving me a solution. What is your solution? You I want Ziggler? Solution. I said, if, who's if the coach? Ziegler's there. And he, if this guy Ziegler's there and, he, and they have a comfort with him, put him in. He can't do any worse. Johnny for Burger King couldn't have done worse. You okay, and well, I Steve, couldn't hold have on. done All right, Steve, like I appreciate really the call. Like, I appreciate the call. We're going now. nowhere. We're going nowhere. I ask you questions and you don't answer. Okay, so we're going nowhere. We're talking around at a circle right now. So. Dave Ziegler has been the number two to Bill Belichick for one year, okay? And Bill Belichick just had a great draft. Maybe Ziegler deserves some of the credit for that. But to just say that all of a sudden Ziegler is going to move up to the top role and he's going to hit it out of the park, we don't know that. We have no idea whatsoever. And I will add this. Ever since Nick Casario left the Patriots, they're drafting pretty well. Just a side note. But then you also have to replace Bill the coach. So what are you going to do? If you tell Bill... He doesn't have personnel power anymore. He can coach, but you're going to have a different GM, somebody that is picking the players for you. He'll never go for that. And I'd much rather still have Belichick being in charge of the organization than not having Belichick at all. 617-779-7937, the number. And by the way, are we so sure that Bill's not going to have another really good draft? He just had a incredible draft, a really good draft. Let's see what he does next season. Let's get to Steve in Maine. Steve, what's up? Hey, how you doing, my friend? It's uh, always good to hear your voice. I really enjoy your show. Thank you. Uh, as far as uh, Belichick in the upcoming draft, I would love to see him go left tackle and wide receiver in the first two rounds, and I just don't see that being a – well, I mean, left tackle is something that I could see him drafting, honestly, in the first two rounds, but a wide receiver, uh, if you can see the talent at uh, wide receiver over the last few years and – I'm not even talking about the generational speed of somebody like Tyree Kill. I mean, guys like Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Yep. Uh, you know, the kid out in um, San Francisco, his name's slipping me right now, but he Debo? plays like three different positions. Yeah, Debo Samuel. Yes, Debo yep. Samuel. I mean, there's just uh, these teams all have that, uh, that breakaway speed weapon that the Patriots don't have. The guy that can catch a ball, you know, in the slant for six or seven yards and turn it into a 60 or 70 yard play. And uh, I think in today's NFL, you need a player like that where, you know, <laughs> not, not that you need a field goal in 13 seconds, but uh, <laughs> just to have the ability of having a, uh, a weapon like yeah, that on and the team. Steve, the other yeah. element to that is you need somebody right now that the opposition has to game plan for, right? Because Brady, when it became more of an offensive league, if you look at it, really 06 after the Patriots fell short against the Colts, they went out and they upgraded the weapons. So, Ever since that point, Brady, outside of the 2019 season, when, of course, Gronk had retired previous to that season, you always had a number one option going from Randy Moss to Rob Gronkowski that the opponent had to game plan for. They had to build their defensive game plan to how are we stopping Gronk or how are we stopping Randy Moss. That's what the Patriots need. They have some nice periphery guys, but they need that one guy where when the Patriots are playing, say, the Titans, they know they got to figure out how to stop A.J. Brown. Or when they play the Bills, they got to figure out how they're stopping Stephon Diggs. The Patriots don't have one of those guys. That's the big issue. There's no defensive coordinator in the NFL that has to scheme for any one player on the Patriots. They right. just don't. Yeah, that's you know, it. And, and uh, Steve, I would love to see. I was just going to say to your point I'm about sorry. the left tackle, we've seen him do it. I mean, when it, whether it be yeah. Matt Light, uh, whether it be Nate Solder, and Isaiah Wynn clearly has not worked out as a left tackle, so they did pick up his option, so I'm wondering if maybe if they would entertain putting him inside because clearly he's not a good enough left tackle. Well, I understand that he, I think he believes now he's found his quarterback, 
uh, it would only make sense to find the guy that's going to protect them for the next eight or ten years. But the scary thing is I don't think, or at least does anybody have any faith that Bill Belichick has the ability to draft a wide receiver? I mean, he certainly hasn't shown in his history to uh, be able to do so. I was wondering what you think, Brian. And, uh, I appreciate you taking me on the phone, and have a great night. Yeah, I appreciate it, Steve. Well, I will say this as it pertains to Belichick drafting receivers. He hasn't put a lot of high draft picks into that position. I know we all get caught up in the um, Nikhil Harry situation, right? Which, obviously, that was a complete debacle. And I still I don't understand everything that went on with that selection. When you have guys that are telling Bill to pick Debo Samuel or pick A.J. Brown, who is well-reported by Albert Breer, and he decides to go with Nikhil Harry because he had a relationship with Todd Graham, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. But if you look at it in terms of first two-round receivers that Bill has drafted, he drafted Nikhil Harry in 2019, and then you'd have to go all the way back to, I believe it would be 2013, when they drafted Aaron Dobson. Yeah, Dobson went in the second round in 2013. So from the last decade, if you will, that's the only two guys that he drafted at the receiver position in the first two rounds. So, yes, he missed on both those guys, clearly. He did draft Gronk in 2010, not a receiver but a tight end, who turned out to be one of the best players in the NFL for a decade. Outside of that, you look at guys that Bill has drafted in the first two rounds as receivers. Chad Jackson, that's all the way back in 2006. And then Deion Branch was a second-round pick, I believe, in 2002. So, yeah, if you look at the history of Bill in the first two rounds, he hasn't hit on a lot of those guys. He's hit on one out of four, but he's only drafted four guys in the first two rounds of the draft. But I am wondering now if the Nikhil Harry pick, obviously you missed on it, but does that signal a little bit of a change that Bill is actually going to put more resources into the weapons? And look, he missed on some of these guys in the offseason. Steve pointed them out. He missed out on Nelson Aguilar. He missed out on Jonu Smith, but he did sign Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Jonu Smith, and Hunter Henry. So he used salary cap space to sign four guys that were supposed to be weapons for this team. Now, only two of them hit. But I'm wondering if that is sort of an indication that Bill is going to spend more time in terms of getting players to help Mac Jones. Because it does feel like if you look at what Mac Jones was sorely missing last year, it wasn't just the legitimate bona fide number one receiver, but it was that guy that he knew he could go to. Now, I guess Hunter Henry kind of emerged into that guy late in the season, but he's not the same player that he is in between the 20s that he is in the red zone, right? He's a much better player in the red zone, and he's not a very explosive player. He's a good player. He's a defendable player when it comes to that. But you need that guy where you know when you're under pressure, this guy's going to be open. Brady always had that here. And Mac Jones was not set up as well as Brady was for the majority of his career. Think about this. Brady gets in immediately as Troy Brown, uncovers unbelievably quickly. And then it goes to Troy Brown and Dion Branch. Okay, well, then after that, it goes to Wes Welker, who uncovered incredibly quickly. Who, by the way, now, if you want to look at, like, draft history, yeah, Bill and drafted guys in the second round. He did give up a second-round draft pick for Wes Welker. So you used a second-round draft pick for a receiver that was being, in your mind, underutilized in Miami. You bring him here, and he emerges as the best slot receiver in the NFL. I'm not saying Brady doesn't deserve credit for that, but Welker had that amazing He had two superpowers. The first one was to uncover quickly, and the second one was to turn on a dime and get upfield. He would uncover quickly, and then he'd get upfield, and he'd pick up the first down. But then after Welker, you had Edelman that would always get open, right? So you always kind of had that guy that Brady knew was going to get open, and he had the guy out of the backfield. Going back to whether it be 
J.R. Redmond to Kevin Falk to Danny Woodhead was good in that role for a couple of years to Shane Vereen to the best out of that group was James White. And if you look at Mac Jones, he didn't even have either of those things. Like, I'm talking about getting him a legitimate bona fide number one option. I feel the best way to do that is in the draft because it feels like these guys are hitting at an amazing level. And it doesn't just feel that way. From my math, 22 of those guys have hit over the past since 2018. The guys that have gone in the first two rounds. And a couple of these guys are some of the best receivers in the NFL already. When you're talking about A.J. Brown and Justin Jefferson and Debo Samuel. Like, these guys are some of the best receivers in the NFL right now. And... We're seeing these guys all the time going off the board early because it feels like the NFL is catching up to the trend. The teams are catching up to the trend. Hey, we can get these guys early in the draft. We don't have to pay them a lot of money for their first couple of years in the league, and we're getting the same production that some of these other teams out there are getting from star receivers. The Vikings are getting the same level of production from Justin Jefferson that the Bills are getting for Stephon Diggs, and they're paying Diggs all that money, right? You think about Devontae Adams, great season there, but if – You look at Debo Samuel, you're getting more production for Debo Samuel this year than the Packers got for Devontae Adams. And you're paying Devontae Adams the franchise tag, and you're paying Debo Samuel nothing in terms of the salary cap implication. $2.9 million against the salary cap. So it seems like this is the new trend, the way to do it in the NFL in terms of getting that legitimate bona fide number one guy. But you also got to address the two other things. Are you going to bring James White back? Be nice to have him back and to be that pass-catching entity, that binky that he was for Tom Brady for all those years. But you also got to figure out what are you going to do with the slot? Because right now you don't have a traditional Patriot slot receiver, right? You don't have the Troy Brown type or the Wes Welker type. Jacoby Myers, different type of player. And you need that guy to get open for Mac Jones. So, I mean, I think about Tom Brady. He always had Gronk or Randy Moss since it became about Tom. And he had Wes Welker and Julian Edelman. You had Edelman to go with Gronk, and I know Welker and Gronk overlapped for a couple of years there as well, but you had Edelman and Gronk, and you had Moss and Welker. And during that stretch, you had guys that could catch the ball to the backfield as well. And Mac didn't have either one of those things this year. Bold and try, but he's not to that level that Mac Jones is. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. I should say bold and tried, but he's not to that level as James White is. I'm pretty sure that Mac Jones is not a good slot receiver. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. How do you want Bill to go about this offseason in terms of upgrading the weapons? What does he need to do to help out Mac Jones? And I do want to get to this trend that it seems like is going on in the NFL that the Patriots kind of went the opposite on and whether or not that's going to burn them. We'll get to that next year in EEI. Right back to it. This is Brian Barrett on EEI. By the way, one other thing real quickly, too, about Belichick and building this team. When you look at the second dynasty that the Patriots had, 2016, they had the number one scoring defense in the NFL. 2018, they had the seventh best scoring defense in the NFL. 2019, the best scoring defense in the NFL. Now, those guys did fall apart at the end of the season. But part of the reason that Belichick's been able, you go back to 2011, number three in points, 2012, second in points. They've done a really good job throughout the years in terms of building a defense. As part of that is Belichick's ability to make moves on the periphery, right? So think about this. He got Revis as a hired gun for the 2014 season, and then he doesn't pay him the big contract. He flames out with his, or flames out in his second tenure with the Jets. You think about the Akib Tlaib trade. You gave up a fourth-round pick for Aqib Tlaib. You gave up, what, a six-round draft pick for Kyle Van Noy, who is really good for this team. 
You think about Brandon LaFell, who was really good in the 2014 season. He got a three-year, $9 million contract. So Bill has done gave Danny Amendola a big contract, and he kept making him take pay cuts. Bill has done a good job with acquiring talent from the NFL level, right? So there has been that element. There, part of the reason the second dynasty was the second dynasty was because the defense is really good, too. I understand that Brady was the main engine behind it. I'm not denying any of that. But Belichick always did a really good job of giving Brady enough talent around him offensively and building up his defense. He always had during that second go-around when they won in 14, 16, and 18. He always had enough weapons. He had Amendola. He had Edelman. He had Rob Gronkowski. At the beginning of that, of course, he had Aaron Hernandez. We all know the history there. And even one year, they bring in Martellus Bennett. So in 16, when Gronk goes down, you still have a really good tight end and a guy like Martellus Bennett. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to DJ in Jamaica Plain. What's up, DJ? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Good. How are you? So, awesome. Thanks. So I think uh, the Patriots' focus through the draft free agency has to be focused on defense. I know a lot of people are talking about we need the wide receiver, which we do. However, we have got to get uh, uh, younger and faster on defense. Bill's been successful over the years when he has a legitimate number one corner. We're going to need that. Somebody young, inexpensive, that he can – Walk down half of the field. So you wouldn't bring back you wouldn't bring back J C Jackson. Oh, that's a tough one. I, I I'm not sure if I'm sold. I, I would I would, but I would franchise him. I wouldn't lock him into uh, a long term deal. I would franchise him for a year, see how he does next year, and bring in the young guy and see how that works out. I'm a little bit iffy on locking into a long term co- contract with J C Jackson. Um, they need some linebacker. They need a, 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 a nice young linebacker with the speed that can be a stud. Um, and I would go out and try to get maybe another Kendrick Bourne type and, and build, with, build on that. The Patriots, for the Patriots to do well, we already have, I think, the, um, the guy Mac Jones as well. And the other key component, we have a strong running game. So I would go defense, quarterback, uh, linebacker, offensive line, manage the, the hell out of those games. You're not going to beat. Kansas City and Buffalo with just the wide receiver. Yeah, DJ, I, I'm with you. In ter- DJ, I'm with you in terms, and I appreciate the phone call. I'm with you as it pertains to the linebacking core. They need to get younger and they need to get faster there. I would assume that Hightower is going to retire. I wouldn't mind bringing Van Noy back. Van Noy had a good season, I felt, for the Patriots. I thought he played pretty well. So I would bring Van Noy back. I've, I've never been a fan of Bentley. He's just too slow. Now, the one thing I will say is Cameron McGrone, the fifth-round pick that a lot of people had mocked in the second or the third round before he had the ACL, uh, ACL injury, he is one of those new-age linebackers. In, I'm not saying he is this guy, obviously, but the Bourne Warner type of player, if you will, where he can run all over the field, that type of guy. Now, if you look at it in terms of the pass rushers, Judon's got to be better than he was down the stretch. I have to imagine he was dealing with an injury. He has alluded to the rib thing. And then, of course, you look at you have Barmore, who proved to be a stud in that interior, if you will. And then you start to think about, I would bring back J.C. Jackson. I, I don't know how Bill doesn't bring him back. It's not like you have an answer that can fit right in and be your number one corner. I'm not saying J.C. Jackson is the perfect corner, but he's the upper echelon group, right? He's somewhere in the family photo of the best corners in the NFL. Now, I don't think he's exactly Jalen Ramsey, but he's in that next level down from being Jalen Ramsey. So I don't know how you don't bring him back, but I still think the number one thing is getting more weapons 
for Mac Jones because even the best defenses at the NFL, they get scored on in the playoffs. The Bills were the number one scoring defense at the NFL. They had no answer for Pat Mahomes in the fourth quarter of that game. So at some point, you're going to get in a fight where you need to put up points, and Mac Jones is ill-equipped to do that with these weapons. I'm not saying Mac Jones is a perfect player. Clearly, he's got issues, and I'll get into those in a second here. But one of the things they need to do is at least get a proper read on the player. I don't know how you can properly evaluate Mac Jones with who he went out there with last season. Let's get to Tyler in New Hampshire. Hey, Tyler. Hey, how's it going, man? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Um, no, I alluding to what that, that caller just said, I, I, I agree with what you guys are saying about the defense. I, uh, but I think that especially with Mac Jones, like bringing him along and building that confidence up with him, he definitely needs someone that he, he can lean on in some third downs and some tough situations. Now, Jacoby Myers is a nice, like, possession receiver. He's not going to burn anyone off the ball. Bourne was, was nice, but, like, there's so many wide receivers in this upcoming free agency that I feel like we need to target to, to, to really take that off of him. And, and, and alluding to the defense, like, yeah, the defense, like they're, they're a slow at linebacker position and stuff like that, but there was a lot of pressure on them to be able to keep Mac in the game early on and to keep him in the mindset that all was lost, like not early in the game. So, so I mean, hey, they, they Tyler, really Tyler, Tyler, yeah. hold on one sec. So, you said they got to target some of these receivers in free agency. So who do you like? Uh, I, I love, honestly, I love, like, uh, Mike Williams. You know, he's kind of, to, uh, uh, rather than the beginning of last season, he's been injury prone, and he hasn't really hit his ceiling as, as, as a player as well. He's kind of in the shadow of Keenan Allen. I like him if you can get him at the right price. Another guy that's injury prone, I know, and still, but can take the top off of defense is, is a Wolf Fuller. Um, a veteran presence of A.J. Green, a lot of guys that you could get on like probably friendly contracts because they haven't lived up to the hype uh, and been able to stay on the field, I think could really bring different layers to the, to the wide receiver group that, could, that Matt could you, you know, use in certain situations compared to you know, the smaller receivers that we have set. Yeah. All right. I appreciate the call, Tyler. I'll say this. I, I can't see them going after Will Fuller. Now, I would have rather gone after Will Fuller last year than Nelson Aguilar last year. I said that at the time. Now, it didn't work out for Will Fuller either. He played like, what, one game last year, and shockingly, the guy was injured. And remember, he was coming off a suspension. He had to set out the first game of the year anyway because of a suspension. Then he got hurt. It never got right for Will Fuller in Miami. I liked him as a player more than Aguilar, but I don't see them going another year of going after that speed deep threat, so to speak, after they just sound Aguilar, and Aguilar's got one year remaining on the contract. A.J. Green, he looked a little bit creaky to me. I'm not the biggest fan of A.J. Green's work at this particular point in time. He's a great receiver for a number of years. If I'm going in the free agency thing, I wouldn't mind taking a shot on Gallup, who's coming off an injury, who's more of a possession guy, was kind of the third weapon there in Dallas behind CeeDee Lamb and, of course, Amari Cooper. So I wouldn't mind that. Godwin would be my big target. Like, if I could get Godwin, that's the big fish out there in terms of the free agency world. And then, of course, the Calvin Ridley thing, that's been out there as well. But for me, it's go after a guy in the first two rounds of the draft because these guys are all hitting. By the way, I accidentally, I think I said when I was talking about Cameron McGrone being in the Warner mold, I meant Fred Warner. I think I said Born Warner. You know who Born Warner is, Justin? You probably don't even remember him. He was the guy that was drafted in the first round by the Indianapolis Colts years ago. He's a pass rusher from Germany. Sucked. He's good in college, real good in college, but he absolutely sucked in the NFL. But I meant Fred Warner, and the reason I mentioned Fred Warner is that speedy linebacker, right? Like, we see it with Levante David with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Devin Smith with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Just getting 
faster at the linebacking core. It feels like Hightower is a really good player for a number of years. He can't really move laterally. And the and look, it's not like all season long he was great and this one play stuck out to me, but this one play kind of said to me, yeah, he's probably cooked, is when he overran that play against Jonathan Taylor. And McCourty couldn't make the play either. It's kind of like, yeah, not doing it anymore. And I would expect he retires anyway. He's been a great Patriot. I'll never say anything critical of Dante Hightower when it comes to his career as a Patriot. But last year was kind of an indication like, all right, yeah, probably time to retire. All right, 617-779. 7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. All right, I do want to get into some Celtic stuff, and I believe they have to make a move. I have some suggestions for the Celtics as it pertains to that. If you want to weigh in on the Hall of Fame stuff, that's still on the table all night long. Plus, I will get to the trend the Patriots want against in the NFL, and I'm wondering if they feel like that's going to hurt them. The number 617-779-7937. Brian Barrett with you right here on EEI. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.